Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to John chapter 6. This is a very long chapter, so we'll need to get right into it. Hear now the word of the Lord beginning at verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now, the term after this is vague. It gives us a sense of sequence, but not a strict chronology. The last we heard from Jesus, he was in Jerusalem. Now he's in Galilee, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which most commentators understand to mean on the east or northeast side, away from the home base in Capernaum. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs. That is John warning us not to treat this crowd as representing the true size of the Jesus movement. These are fickle followers interested only in signs. As we've said before, you can draw a crowd with miracles, but you cannot build a church. These people were following Jesus because he healed the sick. Stop and hear that, okay? Be warned by that. Understand that if you obsess over lesser things, even good things, at the expense of ultimate things, then you are on the road to ruin. Many a person is led into death, having been distracted by shiny things that are not saving things. And that is why Jesus is very careful with his signs. When he sees the crowd attracted by the signs, he does not credit them as real believers. He does not build a 5,000-seat auditorium in order to accommodate them. Rather, he preaches the most intentionally divisive and offensive sermon recorded in the Bible. He preaches his huge crowd down to a small congregation. Better a handful of believers than an army of sign seekers. That is what we are watching in the story. Verse 3 says, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with 
fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus does a sign. He fulfills an Old Testament prophecy. He steps into Old Testament typology. It's Passover, the Feast of the Jews, a time when the Jewish people remembered their deliverance under Moses and looked forward to the prophet that Moses spoke of. In Deuteronomy 18.15, we read, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And so Jesus did a very Moses-like thing. He, he fed a multitude in the desert. He was saying, I am the prophet like Moses. Listen to me. Listen to me. But that's not what the people did. Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They didn't respond by listening. They responded by acting in accordance with their cultural assumptions. The Jews at that time were assuming that when Messiah came, he would take up the sword against the oppressor and establish the kingdom of God on the earth. If Jesus is the Messiah, they thought, if he is the prophet like Moses, then clearly now is the time to march on Rome. But that's not what Jesus had been saying. So Jesus hides himself and then quickly removes his disciples from the contagion of the crowd. He doesn't want them drinking from this revolutionary fountain. Verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. In Mark's gospel, we learn that Jesus put them in the boat and then went back to dismiss the crowd. Verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Mark's version of this story includes a, a most remarkable phrase in Mark 6.48. He says, He, Jesus, meant to pass by them. What does that mean? What Does that mean that Jesus meant to walk the whole way and leave his disciples struggling with the wind? No, I don't think so. I, I think that this is a Bible way of saying that Jesus was revealing his glory. He was helping his disciples see what the crowds had missed. Do you remember when Moses asked to see the glory of the Lord? God said to him in Exodus 33, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by, you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So this is the language of theophany. This is Jesus saying, I am more than the prophet like Moses. I am more than a political Messiah. I am God. And I have far bigger plans for you than you can even imagine. James Edward puts it this way, as in the forgiveness of sins and in his power over nature, walking on the lake identifies Jesus 
unmistakably with God. Verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and the strong indication that Jesus had walked at least part of the way to Capernaum on the water spreads like wildfire throughout the region. And a crowd gathers from all over, all parts of the lake, by land and by sea. People are gathering now around Jesus, who is apparently on his way to teach in the synagogue in Capernaum. But Jesus is not overawed by the crowd. He is suspicious of the crowd because he knows why they have come. They don't understand who he is. They just want their fill of the loaves. They want a physical Messiah. They want a physical prophet who will feed them physical bread until they die. But Jesus wants to give them something better. They want full bellies and a better life. He wants to give them the kingdom of God. And you can miss the one in pursuit of the other. That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Isn't that marvelous? This is the sort of verse that makes me lament the format we have chosen. We, we could park here for a month and not exhaust the comfort and the encouragement of this verse. Do you ever feel like you can't do enough? Do you ever feel like you could never measure up? Then this is the verse for you. What does God want for you? What does he want from you? What, what do you need to do to have eternal life? Hear this answer. Believe in him whom God has sent. Believe in Jesus. Now, obviously that has to be heard through the lens of the story we are reading Obviously, then, believe in Jesus means to believe in all of who Jesus is and all of what Jesus is claiming about himself. Obviously, it's not enough to believe that Jesus is a healer. The text is suspicious of those people. Obviously, it is not enough to believe that Jesus is a prophet or a king. Jesus hid himself from such people. No, we need to believe in more than that. We need to believe in all of who Jesus is and all of what he does as the word of God in human flesh. That is all. That is all. That is what we must do to inherit eternal life. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 4, 5, "...to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly." His faith is 
counted for righteousness. Do you remember that? To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. If you try and work your own way into heaven, you will fail. But if you believe on him that justifies the ungodly, such faith shall be counted for righteousness. That's the gospel. Believe it and you will be saved. But the crowd wasn't there yet. Verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The the people ask for another Moses-like miracle, right? Do another magic trick, Jesus. That's what we've come for. Don't disappoint us. We've come to see a sign. Show us that you are the prophet like Moses. Give us bread from heaven. But Jesus won't play their game. He understands that the bread from heaven in the Old Testament was ultimately a sign, and it was pointing forward to the true bread from heaven, who is the one speaking to them now. The old sign pointed forward to Jesus, but just like the dumb dog, they were fascinated with the finger. They were sniffing the sign instead of following the finger and looking at the one to whom it pointed. Jesus wanted them to look at him because everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him has eternal life. He is the real bread of heaven. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Notice that the Jews are stumbling at least over the right things. Jesus said that he was the only person to come down from heaven. Moses never did that. Elijah never did that. Jesus is making a unique and distinctive claim. To say you came down from heaven is to claim pre-existence. It is to claim things that belong properly to God. That's the point. And that was hard for them to accept. Verse 43, Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Of course it is hard to believe, Jesus says. It's impossible to believe. The devil has blinded your eyes 
None of you will see me unless you are drawn by the Father. You cannot deny the sovereignty of God and salvation. It is on just about every page of the Bible. Jesus is saying, if God doesn't help you, then you will never see. Grace has to come first. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent Jesus draws him. Verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, obviously, Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms here. Colin Cruz explains, to eat the true bread is a metaphor for believing in Jesus something that becomes abundantly clear when we compare the two statements that stand in parallel in this context. Verse 47, he who believes has everlasting life. And verse 50, a man may eat and not die, closed quote. So Jesus is not advocating cannibalism, and he is not referring directly to the Eucharist here. The Eucharist certainly reminds us of this teaching, but Jesus isn't saying that if you take communion, you will be saved. He is saying, if you believe in him and feed on him spiritually, you will be saved. That's what he meant. But that isn't what everybody heard. Verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. What is amazing to me here is that Jesus did not attempt to modify his language once he perceived that he was being misinterpreted by the crowd. In fact, he almost seems to double down. It almost looks like he is speaking in obscure and opaque terms in order to weed out superficial hearers. Commentators notice that. Cruz again says here, he made no concessions to their misapprehension and even heightened the repulsive nature of his words, closed quote. It's almost as if Jesus is veiling his truth just a little bit. It's almost like he's putting the cookies on the very top shelf to weed out the lazy and the disinterested. If you won't go over and get that ladder, then you will disqualify yourself from the blessings. Verse 60. 
When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The words of Jesus push some away, and draw others in. Who can understand this? Who can fathom it? And who is sufficient for it? The flesh profiteth nothing, but the Spirit gives life to whom he will. Thanks be to God. And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you would like to support this program, please consider leaving us a rating or a review on iTunes as it will help other people find and access these materials. If you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find our entire library of content over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes store or on Google Play. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, just go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right-hand corner. You can also contribute through the Into the Word app. We hope to connect with you again really soon right here for another episode of Into the Word. Into the Word.